Let's all bow before Yahweh and before the throne. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings of this day. We thank you for your Sabbath. We thank you for allowing us to have the freedom here to worship you as we do. Father, we pray that you would always be with us, that we would always strive to follow you, that we would never compromise your word, that we would strive to do it your way, not our way. Father, we thank you again for the many blessings that you've given to each one of us, the family, the friends, the jobs, whatever it is, those things we're grateful for. We thank you. We know that all good things come from you, Yahweh, and we praise you, and we give you glory, and we do all this for you, and we ask all this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. It is a uh, blessing to be here. Good to be back home for those who do not, uh, didn't, uh, may not know. My family and I, we were able to get away this last week, so nice just to sort of do that with the uh, family. So the message this Sabbath is parables, truths hidden in plain sight. You know, as many of you know, this was the preferred method of teaching for our Savior, Yahshua. He taught through parables. You know, as as we'll see through this message, there was a reason why he used this method, why he used parables to convey the truths he did. Now, for many of his parables, we find a common theme. Matter of fact, we find three common themes we're going to really focus on today. And many of his parables fall into these three categories. Um, Here's a chart showing these uh, themes. Okay, there it is. Okay. So parables by category. So first category is calling and judgment. So you have both calling and judgment. And that would include parable of the sower, parable of the ten virgins, parable of the ten talents, and parable of the marriage feast. And then we have parables about just judgment. And that would include parable of the wheat and tares, and also parable of the dragnet. And the last categories, Yahshua spoke a lot about the kingdom. So we have uh, the last theme here, and the parables would include the parable of the mustard seed, parable of the hidden treasure, and parable of the pearl. So... The first one here, calling and judgment, refers to parables involving evangelism and also the judgment for those who reject that calling. And we can certainly see many examples of that today. The next one is a judgment. This refers mainly to the judgment that he will unleash at his second coming. And the last one here is the kingdom. Of course, this refers to his kingdom, which he will establish here on earth when he returns to set up his father's kingdom. Well, the parables that fall under this category, again, are the mustard seed and the hidden treasure, par- a parable of the pearl. And, um, you know, as we see here, these themes and parables are really important to salvation. And that's one reason it's important to understand the message, not only why Yahshua used them, but also understand the messages behind these parables. You know, we find some amazing truths with these parables and what Yahshua communicated through these. The the caliber of truths is just astounding. Now, we haven't really talked about it yet, but why did Yahshua speak in parables? What was the reason for, for him using this method over other ways? You know, Yahshua could have said these things more direct. He didn't have to use parables to communicate the way he did, but he chose a very unique method of communication to relay these truths. Why? Why did he use parables? So he explains this actually in Matthew 13, starting in verse 10. And um, we're going to read from Scripture today. I don't have a whole lot of 
scripture on the slides. I will have a slide for each scripture, but not the scripture itself. So if you, you can listen in, or you can turn with me to Matthew 13, and we're going to read verses 10 through 17. It says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speaks thou unto them in a parable? So the disciples themselves were a bit confused as to why Yahshua used this method again to communicate the truth. Verse 11, he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So that was the reason why he spoke in parables. Verse 12 goes on to say, For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Now verse 14, this is a quote. He's quoting from Isaiah. He says, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, or Isaiah, which said, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. So you see the idea, the concept, the notion of parables... It's not just found in the New Testament. This is something we find all the way back in Isaiah. Isaiah was told to communicate in this way, and we see many examples of that. Verse 15, again a quote, says, For the people's heart is waxed gross, and we certainly see that today, and their ears are dull of hearing, meaning they don't hear, refuse to hear, can't hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes for you, for they see, and your ears for they hear. In verse 17, for verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and, and have not heard them. So, Based on what we find here, why did Yahshua speak in parables? Why did he use this method of communication over again something else? He could have been very direct. He could have simply spoke the truth very easily, but he chose not to. You know, for me, I compare it to an encrypted message. This was really why Yahshua was doing what he was doing. It was a form of encryption. For those not familiar, here's how Wikipedia defines encryption. It's very good and certainly corresponds to what we see here. It says, quote, encryption is a process of encoding a message of inf or information in such a way that only authorized parties can access it and those who are not authorized cannot. Encryption does not itself prevent interference. In other words, they can still hear or receive the message, but denies the intelligible content to a would-be inceptor. So they don't understand the message. They receive the message, but they do not understand the message. That is encryption. goes on to say in an encryption scheme, the intended information or message referred to as plain text is encrypted using an encryption algorithm or cipher, generated ciphertext that can be read only if decrypted. So that's encryption from a... From a technical standpoint. So as we see here, encryption is used to ensure that only the intended receiver understands the message. It is not to prevent the receiver from, or somebody from receiving the message, but understanding the message. Everybody was there listening to Yahshua. They understood, they, they heard the words, but they did not understand the words. And in, in the case of encryption, as we see here, 
they need an algorithm to accomplish this, or in our case, we need to be called, right? Those who are called will understand and receive the message. So that algorithm, that cipher that they use for encryption, or for us, that's the Holy Spirit. That's Yahweh working within us. That is how he uses encryption. Same idea, though. So even though we see differences between encryption and parables, they both accomplish the same thing, and that is transmitting a message where the intended hearers or audience receives and understands the message. That is why Yahshua spoke in parables. So in this case, why was it important to conceal or hide the message? You know, I believe this goes back to the fact that not everyone is called in this day and age. The scripture speaks a lot about being called. You know, I believe this goes back again to this concept. Yeah, as a side note, there's, that's one of the things that separate us from nominal worship. Most in Christianity will say that today is the only day for salvation, that if you're not called or not doing what's right or whatever, that you've lost your only opportunity. Well, this isn't true. We know that. Scripture speaks about two resurrections. One resurrection will occur at Yahshua's coming. We can read about that. The second resurrection will occur at the great white throne judgment, when the rest of mankind will stand before the judgment seat to be judged based on their works. That's another message, too. It says their works in Scripture. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12 says that. And yet, people will say, if you're trying to do any works... You're a legalist. And yet scripture says that we're going to be judged based on those works. It's amazing how things have become, become so distorted today. You know, we also know that scripture speaks a lot about being predestined. Predestined. And that's a confusing topic. This is not Calvin's predestination, by the way. I don't know if you're familiar with Calvin's predestination, but it goes a little bit something like this. If you're predestined, there's nothing you can do to lose that salvation. But if you're not predestined, there's nothing you can do to achieve that salvation. Well, that's simply not true. Scripture gives free will. And we are called and chosen, certainly chosen. Now, when the Bible mentions predestination, it does. We believe it refers to the calling. You know, Yahweh calls us, calls us to the truth. Not everybody's called today. But it also says those who are called, only a few are chosen. So out of those who are predestined to hear the message... Scripture says only a few of those predestined will receive and hear and be found worthy of that message. So as we see here, parables was Yahshua's way of encrypting the message for those being called, for those Yahweh was calling to his truth. As we also see here, this concept of parables goes all the way back to Isaiah. You know, I, I find that remarkable. So many people, they look at the New Testament, they believe all of what we find is, is unique to the New Testament, but very little of the New Testament is unique. Almost all of it goes back to the Old Testament, even this concept of this, this parables, this form of encryption to conceal the message for the right audience. This is not something new. This is not something that Yahshua came up with. This is something that was found long before Yahshua in the book of Isaiah. Because Isaiah used this method again to, to convey his words to the people of Israel. So let's now talk about some of the parables we find within the word. Today I want to focus on the book of Matthew. So we're not going to leave the book of Matthew. And we're going to focus mostly on Matthew 13, although we will deviate some from there. But Matthew 13 will be the main passage. But we're going to stick to, we're going to stay with the book of Matthew. I will refer a little bit to Paul as well. Now, the first parables... 
we're going to read is again under this theme of calling and judgment. Calling and judgment. So there's there's a sense of calling and there's also a judgment with that calling. And, and specifically really for those who refuse to receive the message. One of the most important parables we find within the word is the parable of the sower. So I want to start with that one today. So Matthew 13. Matthew 13. And we're going to read verses 3 through 8. And then also 18 through 23. So we're going to do a little bit of reading here. So 3 through 8 of Matthew 13 it says... And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon the stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. So they had no root, in other words. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But the other fell into good ground, and he brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. So let's skip down to verse 18. It says there, hear you, because the apostles did not understand the message. So Yahshua here, he explains the message now to the apostles. He says, hear you, therefore, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then cometh the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he that receives the word by the wayside. But he that received the word into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receives it. Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, word, By and by he is offended, for he doesn't hold firm to that truth. Verse 22, he also that receives a seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and the care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. And the last one here, verse 23, but he that receives seed into good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also bears fruit. So you see, there's something that happens here. Fruit is born. It says, bears fruit, and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So what is the lesson or message behind this parable? Again, one of the most important parables we find, I believe, within the word. Yashua here, he's speaking about how people respond differently to the message. He's really speaking about evangelism and how people respond to when they hear the truth. The seed represents the word. The seed represents the word. So what are some of the different scenarios we find within this parable? What are some of the examples we we find here? Or scenario number one is when someone hears the word, but before they can understand it, Satan comes and snatches that word away. So that's scenario number one. And, you know, let me give you some examples. You know, let's say someone finds and reads one of our booklets, but before they can do any research, Satan distracts them. And they never then pursue that truth. In this example, they may never understand the opportunity that they were given because, again, Satan distracted them. Satan removed that seed. He removed that word before they could understand. Or scenario two is when one hears the word, but doesn't have the devotion, the dedication, the stamina, the integrity to remain true to that word. 
when times of trial or tribulation come, they simply don't have the root or the devotion to stay with it, and they fade away. And, you know, we, we see a lot of that. I've seen many examples over the years, trials, tribulations. You see people come, they stay for six months, a year, and they fade away. And you find out later that maybe they compromise for a family member or a friend. It's real easy to compromise Yahweh's word. And we see a lot of that, sadly. Too much of that. Instead of holding firm to Yahweh, they compromised and fell away. Scenario three is when someone hears, receives a word, but because of their love for the world, they, again, compromise and they go astray. And again, we've seen many examples of this also throughout the years. You know, as believers... It's important to realize that we cannot love the world. If we make this world, if we make our riches, if we make our career, if we make our family, if we make our relationships first or before Yahweh, we're not going to succeed. Yahweh must come first. Our relationship, our devotion, our dedication to him must come first. And if it doesn't, we're not going to succeed. So as we see in the Bible, we must make a separation to show that we're different by how we live and by what we do. Now the last one here, Yashua speaks about those who hear and receive the word, and they produce fruit. So that's the difference. They produce fruit. You know, one of the things many people miss here in this last scenario is that not everyone produces the same amount of fruit. And that's something I try to point out when I really review this because it's an important point. It says here that some produce 30, others produce 60, and others yet produce 100-fold. So you see not every produce, everyone produces the same number of fruit. Now, what's the significance of this variance in production? Why is it important that we understand that some produce 30, 60? What message is Yahshua trying to convey here? You know, I believe that it shows that when, uh, from those called and chosen, that some will go further with the word, that some will be more devoted, more dedicated, that they're going to sacrifice more than others. And because of this, I believe that they're going to receive a greater reward. We're going to see an example of that, but for instance, those who produce 30-fold may be given one city in the kingdom. Someone who produces 100-fold may be given 10 cities. So I do believe that what we produce, the sacrifice, the devotion, the dedication that we show in this life determines in part the blessings that we receive in the next life. Now in Matthew 25, starting in verse 1, we find another parable involving judgment and calling. And this is the parable of the ten virgins. So Matthew 25, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. It's amazing the continuity, by the way, the with these, uh, the messages we find throughout these parables. So uh, Matthew 25, 1 through 13, it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took the oil and their vessels with their lamps. Well, the bridegroom tarried, so he delayed, they all slumbered and slept, so they all went to sleep until they heard this cry. It says, And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps, 
And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. For the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us. And you go you rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him in the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Master, Master, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So in this parable we find ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. Now, what is the difference between the wise and foolish? What was the reason for this contrast, for this difference? For the wise had oil for their lamps. The foolish did not. You know, as both a minister and also a project manager, this parable speaks to be more the most. You know, some of the lessons here is that we need to think ahead. We need to be prepared for what is coming. We need to be proactive. We need to have initiative as believers. I think all of those character traits are very important for for people and certainly believers. Now, there's also a spiritual lesson here to be found, obviously, involving the oil. So what does the oil represent? Obviously, Yahshua is not speaking about oil here. So what does this oil represent? Where many believe that the oil represents the Holy Spirit. Now, the issue we have with that is Scripture shows that we can't buy the Holy Spirit. So we don't believe this represents a Holy Spirit. What we do believe is, this, is that this represents Yahweh's word. It represents his truth. So, uh, Proverbs 23.23 says this. It says, buy the truth and sell it not. So we're told to buy the truth. Just as we find here that these virgins were told to go and buy the truth, buy the oil. So the oil here represents the truth of Yahweh's word. Now we find two other passages from Paul that sort of goes along with what we find here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says this. says, Study to show thyself approved unto Elohim a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So Paul says specifically that we're to study, that we're to know scripture, that, we, that we're to understand what we believe. You know, so many believers out there, they don't do this. They don't really research anything. They, don't, they can't give you an answer for why they believe what they do. But the Bible says that we're to study. The Bible says that we're to research. The Bible says that when somebody asks, that we should be able to respond with an explanation as to why we believe what we do. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21 says, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. You know, I believe the wise virgins are those who studied. And because of that study, because of that awareness, because of that knowledge, they were found worthy. And they were given access into the kingdom. While the five foolish virgins are those who went through life without ever proving what they believed is truth, without looking into these things, without delving into the truth. You know, we see lots of examples of foolish virgins in this day and age. People who simply take their minister's word for something without really understanding what they believe is is truth, what the Bible really says. As believers, we're commanded to prove what we believe is truth. And again, this isn't only for nominal worship. This is for us. You know, we, we're to prove and we're to understand and we're to look into these things. Now, one more thought here with this parable is this. You know, I believe it's referring to the cream of the crop, to those called 
and chosen of Almighty Yahweh. For this reason, it's not referred to the ignorant. You know, Yahweh doesn't condemn the ignorant. That's something we need to understand, too, that Yahweh shows mercy to those who, who don't understand. There's many out there who, who don't understand. It's referring to those who understand or have an opportunity to understand and simply refuse. They simply refuse to understand. Again, there are two resurrections, one for the elect of Yahweh, the other for the remainder of mankind. And that's such an important point from a theological standpoint to realize that this is not the only day for salvation, to realize that Yahweh right now is setting up a kingdom and he's beginning with the cream of the crop. He's beginning with a very core set of believers who will help him to establish this kingdom here on earth, as it says. And then, after the millennium, we find in Revelation 20 that there will be a great white throne judgment. And that great white throne judgment, it says all the remainder of mankind will be judged. And again, it says there very specifically that the remainder of mankind will be judged based on their works. That's the message we don't hear in Alma to worship, do we? How many ministers do we hear saying we're going to be judged based on our works? Such a concept is heresy, and yet Scripture says it. It's amazing what Scripture says and what, what is believed elsewhere. Well, let's move on. I want to focus another parable a little bit like this one here. So this one is in, is in Matthew 25. And uh, so Matthew 25, and this time we're going to begin with verse 14, and we are going to read through verse 30. It's one of the reasons I did not include this on the slide, doing a little bit more reading today, but some things you need to uh, do that with. So Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Yahshua says there, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. So they, he is going away and he's giving his stuff to those he trusts. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. So he increased his worth. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. So he again doubled his worth. Verse 18, but he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Master, thou deliverest unto me. Five talents, behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His master said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy servant, or thy master, I should say. He also that had received two talents came and said, Master, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two more talents beside them. His master said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. It says, And delivereth unto him, sorry about it. Verse 23, it says, His master said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy master. So verse 24, this is really where it goes downhill in this parable. It says, And he which had received the one talent came and said, Master, I know thee 
that thou art a hard man reaping where thou hast not sowed and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, thou hast, hast that is thine. So he gives him his talent back. But nothing more. There was no increase. There was no use of this person's talent. Verse 26, his master answered, said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, lazy. That's what he's saying. He's calling this guy lazy because he didn't even attempt to do anything with what he was given. He, he buried it. He buried it. Slothful, lazy. Thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury or interest. It says, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him that hath ten talents. For unto him every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast you the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what do we see here? Well, we find a man again traveling to a far country. But before he leaves, he gives one servant five talents, another servant two talents, another servant one talent. Now, before we go any further, what is a talent? Where this comes from the Greek talaton and refers to a sum of money. So he's giving these, these men money, entrusting them with his wealth. So what happened to the men who received the talents? Or the one who received five and two talents doubled their net worth, and because of that, as we see here, they were blessed. But we also find here that the one man who received one talent he went away and buried that talent. He did nothing with that talent. Now, what was the master's response when he returned? Again, he, he gave blessings to those who had doubled their talents. He gave them authority. Well, the man who buried his talent lost it, lost the one talent that he was given, and suffered punishment. The gnashing of teeth, it says. So what's the lesson here for us? So you not believe that Yahweh has given us all a special talent. He's given us a gift to use for the furtherance of his work. In some cases, these talents may be obvious. In other cases, maybe not so obvious. But I do believe that we all have a gift. We all have an ability to share and to help further Yahweh's work. Either way, we all share responsibility and a part in this mission. You know, maybe... You've been given the gift of evangelism. Some have that. They can just share Yahweh's truth in a very effective way. They can evangelize his truth. If you have it, you should use it. Use it to further his work. Or maybe you've been given some other gift. You know, whatever it is, I believe we all have a gift. And I believe that we can all use that gift a way to be a blessing to the ministry, a blessing to Yahweh's work. You know, here's what Paul says in Romans 12, 6-8. Paul says, having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, so you see they're not all the same. Some people today, they believe and really focus on maybe one gift. For instance, in the charismatic movement, it's the gift of tongues. Everything's focused on the gift of tongues. Scripture doesn't do that. Scripture says there's many gifts, and we don't all have the same gift. Some of us 
have different gifts. It says, and, and that's what we find here. It says, it says differing according to the grace, according to the gift or the talent that Yahweh has given us. Whether prophesy, prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorts on exhortation, or he that gives. So you see, even something as basic as giving is considered a gift. It doesn't have to be something that is outward. Scripture says even giving is a gift. And it says, if we have this gift, it says, let, it, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence, he that shows mercy. So mercy can be a gift. So many different gifts, so many ways we can be an asset to blessing to Yahweh's work. He says, with cheerfulness. So the bottom line is, as believers, we must be active in our faith. And I think that's the message we find here with this parable. We must be active in our faith. And if we have a gift, if we have something, something that we can offer that furthers the work in some way, we're to use that. We can't ignore or set that aside. For those who do, it says here that they're going to be cast into outer darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, I think Yahweh's real serious when he gives us a gift, when he gives us some sort of talent to use for his work. And it's not a good thing when we hide that. You know, in many ways, this is the same message we found with the, the parable of the ten virgins. Ten were wise, or five were wise, and five were foolish. The man who buried his talent here was, was also foolish. And he paid the price for it because he wasn't focused on Yahweh's word and he wasn't using his gift. So who represents the master in this parable who traveled back to the far country? Who do you suppose represents the master? Well, I believe this represents Yahshua the Messiah who went back to the Father. We know that he, he died, right? He was resurrected, went back to the Father to one day return at his second coming. Where this parable is a prophecy of Yahshua's return and the blessings that he's going to bestow upon those who were faithful in their work and the, and, and, and the curses or the punishment for those who willfully neglected their gifts. It's a powerful message. It really is. And it's something, if we're sitting at home and twiddling our thumbs, rocking in our rocking chair, refusing to use what Yahweh has given us, this is the message that Yahshua provides to us through this parable. It's not the time to do nothing. We all have an active part. We can all contribute. We can all make a difference. So I want you to ask yourself, are you using your gift, whatever it is, to further the work? Are you neglecting that gift? I'm going to move on now and talk about another parable, Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Many refer to this as the parable of the marriage feast. Again, another important message. And Yahshua answered and spoke unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made his marriage for a son and sent forth the servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. So you see, it wasn't just one response, by the way. He sent another group of men out trying to coax these people to come to this marriage feast. They refused. Verse 5 says, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his merchandise. And the rentman took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. 
So they killed it. And we're going to talk about what all this symbolizes here in just a moment. But verse 7 says, But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, he was angry. And he went, sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready. But they which are bidden were not worthy. There's that word again, worthy. You see, there is something we have to do as believers. There is a way of life we must live. It says worthy. Verse 9, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. Now, I believe this is a man who is not righteous, a man who is not living according to Yahweh's word. And he said unto him, Friend, how comest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? Again, symbolizing that righteousness he should have had. And he was speechless. He had nothing to say. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. For many are called, it says, but few are chosen. So what's the meaning behind this parable? We see lots of imagery. So let's look at each piece of the parable to understand the message Yahshua is conveying where it begins with a king making a marriage feast for his son. So who do you believe represents a king? Where the king represents Yahweh, the creator of this universe. The son then would represent Yahshua, the Messiah. Those who are invited first to the marriage feast likely symbolizes Israel of old. You see, Yahweh called the Israelites of old. But as we know, they rebelled time and time again. He sent prophets to them to prophesy, to bring them back, and they mistreated the prophets. They refused to listen. We see Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Malachi, all of these prophets going out, prophesying to the people, come back, and they refused. Then they mistreated the prophets, and that's what we find here. The servants are the prophets of old. Now, after the first group declined, I believe the second group represents those in the Messiah those in the New Testament, those who are being called now. So here's the meaning behind this parable. Because Israel rejected the Messiah, Yahweh broke down that wall separating Jew and Gentile. And now he is calling all who would hear, all who would hear and respond to the message, including those from other nations. Now I want to clarify a few points. Number one, this does not mean that not all native-born Israelites, or doesn't mean all native-born Israelites we're excluded. You know, some believe that, that now it's the age of the church and Israel's lost or has been excluded. Nothing could be further from the truth. Most of the early converts, matter of fact, all the early converts were, were Israelite. Only later did that change with Peter and the Cornelius and, and certainly the calling of Paul. Number two, those of other nations who did not who did accept Yahshua as Messiah and Savior, were grafted into the same Hebraic promise given in, in the Old. And that's another thing, another misnomer we see so often, that now we have this 
this replacement theology. Yahweh worked with those wicked Israelites in the old, and now he's working with the, quote, church in the new. And the twain is shall not me. Well, there is no truth to that. Whether it's old or whether it's new, it's always been, it will always be a Hebraic promise. It will always be a Hebraic promise. That's another point I want to sort of clarify there. Now, it also says here that because the first group refused to come to the marriage feast, that the king burned their city and cast them into outer darkness. So, so what do you believe this symbolizes? So I believe the burning of the city likely refers to when Titus destroyed Jerusalem in 70 CE. And after that point, we also know that they went into exile, many of them, outer darkness. And for a thousand years, the Jews were lost. They were strangers, pilgrims in foreign lands. Not until much, much later did they regain the, the nation of Israel. So that is what I believe. The outer darkness refers to the city being burned as a punishment for those who willfully rejected Yahweh's word. And you see, the key there is willfully. They knew the truth. They understood the truth. They had scriptures, but they still willfully rebelled and rejected. Now we also see one more lesson in verse 14. It says, many are called, but few are chosen. The called, again, refers to those being predestined, those being called to the truth now. But the chosen refers to those who are faithful to the calling. Does that make sense? You have the called, and then you have the chosen. The chosen are those who are found worthy from those called. Not everybody called will be chosen because they're not going to be found worthy of the promise because they're not going to do what they should be doing, and that is holding their faith in Yahshua and also keeping the commandments of Yahweh as we find within Scripture. We have to do both of those items if we're going to be found worthy as a servant and disciple and part of the elect, part of the called and chosen. Well, let's talk now about another parable, and that is the parable of the wheat and tares. Again, a very popular parable. Many people know this. So this, again, is in Matthew Matthew 13. And uh, we're going to begin there with verse 24. So Matthew 13, verse 24. We're going to read through verse 30, and then we're going to read 36 through 43. So another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man, which sowed good seed in his field. But while his men slept, his enemy came and uh, sowed tears among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprang up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tears also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tears? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Will thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the times of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Let's skip down to verse 36. 36 says, Then Yahshua sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us a parable of the terrors, until they, again, did not understand what Yahshua was communicating with this form of decryption. 
So he explains it. He says, verse 37, he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. This is Yahshua. The field is a world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tears are the children of the wicked one, or, he, or Satan. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tears are gathered and burned into the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into, furnace, into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And by the way, we do believe in an actual Gehenna fire here. It's not forever or perpetual. But there will be a fire, and there will be punishment. Verse 42, And shall cast them into a fire or furnace, therefore shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. 43 says, Then shall the righteous shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear. Let them hear. So, again, what is the meaning behind this parable? Or number one, we see here that this is a parable referring to the kingdom. The man who sowed the good seed represents Yahshua the Messiah. The enemy represents Satan the devil. The field represents the world. The good seed represents the righteous, those called and chosen. And the bad seed or the tares represents the sons of the wicked one or of Belial or of Satan. And we also see here that the enemy himself represents Satan. The reapers represents the angels in heaven. So what is the meaning? So what's the meaning behind this symbolism? Well, Yahshua explained it. When he returns, he will send forth his angels to gather first the tares, the wicked, the rebellious. He will send forth his angels to gather the wicked, the sons of Belial. And after this, they will then gather the wicked or gather the righteous. They will gather the called, the elect of Yahweh. Now, for a moment, think about how this chronology fits into the rapture doctrine. Think about that for just a moment. You know, as we see here that the wicked are taken before the righteous. It's very specific in that detail. It's very specific. The wicked are taken, they're burned first, then they will gather the righteous. How does that fit into the rapture? It doesn't. It doesn't. It's contrary to the rapture because, again, the rapture says that the righteous will be taken before the wicked. And yet here we see that the wicked are taken before the righteous. It doesn't fit like so many other Beliefs out there just simply doesn't fit. So when Yahshua comes, will we be counted as tears or, or wheat? And listen, just because we're in this room, just because we keep the Sabbath, just because we do what we do, doesn't guarantee our salvation. You know, Scripture says in Ezekiel 18 that when a righteous man does evil, that he's going to pay for that evil he does, that he's going to lose that reward that he had. It also says that when a wicked man repents, that he's going to receive the reward of a righteous man. So just because we're in this room, just because we keep the Sabbath, just because we do what we do, does not guarantee our position. Only those who are faithful unto the end will be counted worthy as we. As we see, see in Scripture, it's possible to fall from grace. You know, uh, Paul says this for um, some of these folks who believe in this one saved, always saved uh, theology. 
1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, Paul said, But I keep control of my body and bring it into subjection, lest, by, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, if Paul could have been rejected, think about that for just a moment. Paul is acknowledging here that if he did not restrain himself, that if he allowed his flesh to control what he did, that he could be a castaway after preaching and helping others understand the truth, that he could be rejected of Yahweh. If Paul could be rejected of Yahweh, anybody could be rejected of Yahweh. Paul was a great evangelist and a great man. But Paul realized that unless he remained faithful, that unless he stayed the course, that unless he was true to the devotion, to the commitment that he made, that he could lose that promise of Yahweh's kingdom. Now, we see a similar parable to this one here, Matthew 13, a shorter parable, beginning in verse 47. Matthew 13, verse 47, parable of the dragnet. It says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So you see, it's the same concept. He's separating. He's separating good from bad. Those who are, who are rebellious and those who are righteous. So shall, it says, it be at the end of this world, the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. Therefore, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Yahshua said unto them, Have you understood all these things? They said unto him, Yea, Master. Then said he unto them, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man that is a householder which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. So the meaning is the same as a previous parable. We find here a man, he throws out his net, and when he brings this net to shore, he finds both good and bad fishes. The good fishes are placed in a basket, the bad he throws to the side. The man here who separates the fishes symbolizes the angels in heaven. Again, when Yahshua returns, Scripture says that he's going to send his angels to the four corners of this earth. And when he does that, they're going to seek out the wicked, the rebellious. And they're going to remove the wicked and the rebellious first. And then, as we see here, they will then gather in the elect. To give you a better understanding, I always kind of like videos. So I have a real short video here of a net and how this would work. You know, I don't know about you, but I like that method of fishing a lot better than a fishing pole. <laughs> just seems so much easier to, to throw out your net. It's actually really neat. We were in um, Israel. 
I have to throw in a story with Israel. And uh, we were on the Sea of Galilee, and it's just a phenomenal place to visit. And one of those boats that resembles the uh, older boats. And uh, he actually showed us how this was done. He took the net and threw it out. But much like this guy here. But again, this is how Yahshua taught. He used parables. And here this parable is throwing out net, again, bringing back the fish. Those who were the good fish, he would keep, and the, the, the bad fish he threw away. Now, I want to, before closing, I want to review two more parables. Actually, three more parables. All very short, referring to the kingdom. So the first one is the parable of the mustard seed. This is found in Matthew or Matthew 13, starting in verse 31. So here's what it says in Scripture here. This is, again, Matthew 13, 31 and 32. It says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in the field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among the herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air cometh and lodge in the branches thereof. So Yahshua compares Yahweh's kingdom to a mustard seed. Now, as we know, a mustard seed is very small. You can see a picture of that on on the slide. It's very small, but it grows into something very large. I believe this refers to the expansion and growth of Yahweh's kingdom. When Yahshua returns, he will first call the elect. Again, those called and chosen. We've talked a lot about that group today, the called and chosen, the elect of Yahweh. He will then expand the kingdom during the millennium. After the millennium, we have the second resurrection, also known as a great white throne judgment. And at this point, all those found worthy will be brought into this kingdom. So again, it's a growth. It's a progression. I and mean, this is something not understood by, by many people, but there's a progression with salvation. It is not everybody today. It is a core group today that Yahweh is going to use to establish his kingdom here on earth. And then after the millennium, after the thousand years, he will reign and rule. We know that there will be, again, a great white throne judgment. And all mankind will be judged based on his or her own Works, But again, this is referring to the growth of Yahweh's kingdom. It will begin small, and over time, it will grow into something really, really remarkable, something great. I want to read the last two parables together. This is a parable of the hidden treasure and also the parable of the pearl. So in um, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. It says, and again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in the field, which the which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. In verse 45, the parable of pearl, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So the lesson here is pretty simple. There is nothing, nothing, nothing greater than for Yahweh's kingdom. That's the message. That's what Yahshua's communicating here with these parables. You know, we often say here the destination is worth the effort. The destination is Yahweh's kingdom. And believe me when I say nothing is greater. You know, we all struggle in life. 
But we're not going to struggle when this occurs. No matter what we go through in life, it's all worthwhile. It's worth the effort. It's worth the tribulation. It's worth the trial. Because in Yahweh's kingdom is going to be a remarkable place. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be a place that I don't think we can even fully fathom now. Here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. It says, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the hearts, heart of man the things which Elohim hath prepared for those who love him. I think we can see glimpses of it. I think we can understand some of the blessings that we're going to receive. But I don't believe that we can fully comprehend what awaits the called and chosen. You know, consider this. We know in the kingdom there is no more death. What a great thing, right? No more death. We don't have to worry about dying ever again. We are going to live forever. We are going to be immortal. We also know that in the kingdom there's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. There's no more sadness. And I don't think these are just words to tickle our ears. I believe that these are promises that we can rely in, that we're going to be immortal and that we're going to have blessings that we can't even fathom today. You know, I don't believe that we can even begin to comprehend the greatness of this kingdom. Again, all the struggles and all the issues that we go through now, and some of us have more than others, but no matter what you go through, no matter what trials you, you, you encounter and you're going through, it's worth it. Yahweh's kingdom is worth it. And again, that's the, that's the message here behind these uh, parables. And as we've seen through this message, the parables that Yahshua gave provide incredible insight into his word, really focusing on, again, the calling, the judgment, and the kingdom. It reveals all of these truths. And I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. I hope this opened your eyes to some of the parables and Maybe you'll be intrigued enough to go back and, and read some of these parables to study into these things. Is it, it really is an incredible truth, and it's an incredible way of communication. Yahshua's form of encryption, to share the truth with those whom had eyes to see and ears to hear, but to conceal that from those who did not. So I pray it's been a blessing, and certainly wish Yahweh's blessings upon each and every one. May Yahweh bless you.